0: Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leith, and welcome to Cleaning Up the Mental Mess, a podcast where each week I discuss practical, simple, and scientifically-backed ways to help you take back control of your mental health, help others, and ultimately live your happiest life. In this episode, I am interviewing Kara Lowenthal, who is a Master Certified Coach with a BA from Yale and JD from Harvard Law. In the last three years of to pivoting from a legal career, she has grown her life coaching business from zero to seven figures. She's the host of the iTunes top-rated self-help podcast, Brain, which has been downloaded over five million times. And she has been featured in outlets like Marie Claire, MindBodyGreen, MSN.com, and the Huffington Post. Cara lives in New York City, And in today's episode, Cara and I discuss how to overcome imposter syndrome and silence your inner critic, how to forgive and move on past the pain, signs you may be more results entitled and how this could be holding you back, how to learn to love your body and build more self-confidence, why the idea of faking it till you make it is bad and ineffective and so much more. Just before we start, I want to thank everyone again who has left a review, subscribed to this podcast, and shared it on social media with friends and family. Not only does your feedback help me improve each episode, but I just love seeing what you guys are learning and what key takeaways you have. It's so encouraging and exciting. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please consider leaving a five-star review. This information in this podcast is free. All I ask is that you share and subscribe. One more note before we begin. This interview was recorded remotely, so the audio quality may be a little scratchy in some areas. Now, back to today's episode. Cara, welcome to my podcast. I'm very excited to have you on and I'm very excited to hear what what you've got to say and to share your knowledge with my listeners.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: It's going to be fun. Okay. So Cara, can you share a bit more about yourself that's not in your bio and why you do what you do? What keeps you motivated? How did you get to where you are today? <laughs>
1: that feels like this, like the full memoir questions.
0: Exactly. All <laughs> of it. The whole lot. Give us your memoir. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll be here for a long time. How I got to where I am today is the very short version of that is I've been a professional feminist one way or another my whole life. So I've always had jobs that were basically in the feminist movement in some way. And, and I was a I worked in media for Planned Parenthood and then I went to law school and I was a reproductive rights litigator and then I was an academic. And then, as is the normal career path for a law professor, you just quit right before you get a professor job to become a life coach. So that's what I did. And now I coach women on basically deprogramming patriarchy from their brain. So in terms of like what keeps me motivated and what I'm doing, I really I feel like I'm always I've always been mission driven and It's just that my mission has changed in some ways. I think I used to feel like my mission was to help liberate women from structural social oppression in external ways. And now I feel like my mission is to do that internally to help women learn how to liberate themselves from the inside out because so many people are working on the external problems. And I think those are important and I'm glad people are. And I used to be one of them, but I don't think as many people are focused on the internal issue the internalized socialization and if we don't resolve that it's not going to matter what we change on the outside so that's really what keeps me going and that's my mission and it really feels like a global mission so i feel like i'm just at the beginning
0: well i absolutely love your mission and i stand behind you because as a woman as well and as a i'm a cognitive neuroscientist and i've spent 30 years researching the mind brain connection and i can tell you now you make a statement in your webpage: it all starts in your mind It can all start right now. And that's what I've been teaching for 30 years. And sometimes I feel like I've been the only one who's really been focusing on the internal stuff and not just like diet, exercise, et cetera. And as you say, social structures and all that kind of thing, but actually getting to help people to change how they think. So that's why I'm very pleased to hear what you've got to say. And I love what you're doing. Good stuff. It's a great, great thing that you're doing.
1: Yeah, I mean, whatever you change, your diet, your exercise, all of that stuff, like if you're not changing the way you're thinking, you can't change your habits anyway, and it's not going to make much of a difference. Exactly.
0: No, you're just going to put a a Band-Aid on the wound, and you never really do the the real changes. You've got to do the deep, dark work of getting inside your head and changing. I love how you also started off by saying that, well, one of the things you said is that you're helping people to deprogram patriarchy. That's just so good. (laughs) I love that (laughs) statement. That's really good, because you also say things like, well, I'm just going to put some phrases out there. So, just to kind of set the tone here, I love this on your webpage too. Let me be clear: this isn't some sort of manifestation law of attraction BS. It's cognitive psychology based techniques and insights from feminist theory that lead to ridiculously rapid change. Love it. Great. Okay. So, people always seem to have huge goals, but are unsure of how to actually reach them. So, what's your number one piece of advice if we talk about these huge goals and how to reach them? And
1: yeah. I mean, I think it's like, it's funny because, you know, you mentioned diet exercise just because anything you're trying to do in your life, it's the same thing. It's like you have to do the believing part, right? You have to believe that you can do it or at least believe you can do the next step. You have to do the work on your own belief system because if you believe you can't do it or it's impossible, there's no way you can do it. We want to like do things to prove to ourselves that we can do them. That's not how it works. You have to believe ahead of time or you're never going to be able to do it. But at the same time, I think we have to be... Willing to fail and try again and fail and try again. And so I think it's that it's not really a duality. It's more like an ever, like a synergistic process. Like you have to like move forward in your belief about your ability to do something, like one step there and then take a step in doing it and then fail, but keep believing that you can and try again. So I think that what happens with big goals is I tend to work with a lot of women who are kind of high achieving and perfectionistic. They also, of course, none of them think they're high achieving because they're so self-critical, right? But I call it like a perfectionist fantasy when we have a big goal that we've never been able to do. And we probably never will be able to do the way we're thinking, but we like fantasize about it. And we think that if we just could do that thing, then like life would be perfect. And a perfectionist fantasy has this sort of all or nothing flavor. And you spend all this time fantasizing about the result. And if you want to actually achieve something big, you have to fall in love with the process, which is like a lot of failing, a lot of negative emotion, a lot of trying, a lot of things not working out, a lot of picking yourself up and going again, a lot of getting down to work when you don't feel like it. Like the non-glamorous, you have to fall in love with the process, and not just the result. When you fall in love with the process, I think your result guarantees itself. But if you try to just fall in love with the result, you're never going to get there.
0: Oh, I totally agree. That's just, that's really well said and totally in agreement. It really backs up the sort of stuff that I'm doing as well. I, I love that. You talked about deprogramming, patriarchy. you talk about getting dealing with that inner critic and that kind of thing a lot. So I would assume that that is what is basically blocking people from even believing in those goals in the first place. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think it's both lack of belief in ourselves and it's unrealistic expectations of what a goal should do, right? I mean, we have this idea that we should just feel good all the time and that if we don't, something's gone wrong, right? And then we <laughs> exactly get, like well, if I just lost the 20 pounds or if I just had the promotion or if I just had a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whatever it is, right? I think humans are just constantly, it's like the idea of heaven even, right? It's like, we're just constantly being like, there's this place we're going to get to where finally everything's amazing and I don't have to have the human experience anymore. So I think that's, I think there's two things that blocks us. And one is our self-critical thoughts, the not believing we can do it. Yes. And the other is Putting too much weight on it, right? It's like the more weight you put on a goal to solve all your problems and make you feel amazing, the less capable you are of achieving it.
0: Mm, That's very
1: good. It's just too much pressure, right? And then you actually are sort of, you end up subconsciously sabotaging yourself, I think, because you're afraid to actually accomplish it and find out the truth, which is you're still going to sometimes be cranky. Mm, (laughs) Exactly. You're still going to have a bad day because you're having the human experience and there's no exit ramp off of it.
0: You mentioned that around the happiness sort of industry kind of thing, that's what I call it, the happiness industry, how it gives us these unrealistic goals and kind of messes with our minds a little bit about thinking it's all going to be perfect to be, cont- And if you messy if it's messy, it's, there's something wrong with you.
1: Right. Yeah. And like, if you always felt happy, you wouldn't know what happiness felt like. Exactly. Right. You wouldn't have any contrast. And I really, I think that that's the, one of the most pernicious problems is just this belief. This is not a statement about Medication in general, because I think, of course, some people need psychiatric medication. It's helpful. But I did have a client who had sort of asked to be put on medication because she thought there was something wrong because she wasn't happy all the time. And Mm -hmm. then she kept asking for her dose to be increased because she kept being like, Well, I'm still not happy all the time. Right. It was like she was so convinced that we're all supposed to be happy all the time that the fact that she wasn't, she was like, Oh, that's obviously like a problem that I need a a medication solution for.
0: Isn't that interesting? So, some sort of extrinsic solution for an internal issue. How did you handle that situation?
1: Well, she figured this out for herself. She's actually she's in she's in my membership group. So she wasn't like a very close one-on-one client, but she posted about this that she had done in the membership group. I teach I teach my clients how to coach themselves. And so I do some coaching, but they also know how to coach themselves and they coach mm-hmm. each other. And so I actually she solved that for herself. She figured it out like from doing the work of I certainly teach explicitly like you're not supposed to be happy all the time, right? and how to have negative emotion. And through doing the work of practicing having negative emotion, she had this realization and then she worked with her doctors to taper off. And I like just always want to be so super clear that I'm not making any blanket statement about medication Mm -hmm. and I'm not anti-medication at all. I just think that's an amazing story of like what happens when we believe that we're supposed to be happy all the time. Like how how to describe the Mm -hmm. way we're thinking about our own life and the choices we make.
0: If you are over 35, your enzyme levels have already begun to decline. This decline creates chronic indigestion, setting the stage for gut issues, yeast and mold overgrowth, even malnutrition. This is why I'm a big fan of enzyme supplementation. And the best enzyme I've ever found comes from my friends at Bio-Optimizers called Masszymes. For a limited time only, Bio Optimizers is offering a 10% discount on your order. Just go to www.masszymes.com forward slash leaf and enter the coupon code Dr. Leaf10. That's D-R-L-E-A-F 10 to receive your discount. Most people think that faking it until you make it is one of the best ways to build confidence, but you disagree.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're going to die before that works. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Nothing like
0: a reality check. If
1: you could fake it till you're 90, when is it going to work? Like when you're I just feel like that's like asking for imposter syndrome. I mean, that's Mm. what imposter syndrome is, right? It's like having all these external. Whatever your area of life, I'm not saying you all, everybody who has imposter syndrome is like a CEO, but it's just that's what that is is like having a position or having a job or having authority or whatever it is and believing that like you're not good enough and you don't really deserve it. And I just feel like fake it until you make it is just you can make. I mean, here's the thing why do we want to make it? Just because of how we think we'll feel. So if you fake it until you make mm-hmm. it, so what that you made it, like you still feel the same way. And I just think that's like it's, you know, some people are able to just keep faking it, but they burn out. And for a lot of people, they can't fake it. And that's where I think a lot of so-called positive thinking does people a disservice because like a lot of the kind of manifestation, positive thinking crowd and teaching is asking people to pretend to believe something that's so far from what they believe that it's just, they're like reciting empty words to themselves and so I really think like, let's not fake it till you make it. Let's figure out what you're actually thinking and shift it bit by bit. The whole, like, I don't care if you're the CEO, I want you to feel confident about whatever you're doing. So I just think the fake until you make it just, you might get the thing. It's like tricking someone into, it's like pretending to be someone else when you're dating. Cause you think a guy or girl or whoever will like, like you more that way. Even if that quote unquote works, all you've done now is marry someone who likes a fake you. Like that's not a, it's kind of a Pyrrhic victory.
0: Exactly. No, I totally agree with everything you've said there. And it's it's just, it's very dangerous for your mind and your brain. It creates such a dissonance, cognitive dissonance between the two and it actually damages your brain. You know, it actually causes brain damage when you fake it till you make it because you basically cause the neurons, that whole neuroplasticity concept in the brain that as you're thinking your brain is changing. And I'm so glad you brought this up because I also constantly teach on positive affirmations are not they're not magic potions you know you've got to do the work of be real it's way more healthy for your brain for you to actually say what you're feeling which may be all this negative stuff but it's get it out than to try and say okay well that's what i feel but i'm going to pretend i don't feel that and as you say fake it some other statement or belief system and then jump to, to try and think it's that's going to not automatically fix the problem it doesn't
1: right and like plasticity means your brain can build new connections it doesn't mean your brain can go from like zero to a hundred with nothing in between. You have to build it step by step. And I really teach a lot of like neutral baby step or I call them ladder thoughts. Like whatever you call them, it's like a tiny improvement thought that you actually can believe. Let's like build that connection. Then we can build the next one. Then we can build the next one. Not like, let me just pretend something. Yeah, it's like, there's no path between those two neurons.
0: They're just- Exactly. You actually talk about neutral thoughts. And that was one of the questions and you mentioned that now, you know, can can you talk about that?
1: Yeah. I think possibly because I come from like a family of Jewish lawyers and I was one myself and a New Yorker. I just, you know, was like super skeptical when I found my teacher's work and this work. And so I just really was like, what's the smallest thing I can believe like from where I am? Like for instance, I, you know, I started a lot of the first area that I did a lot of this work in was body image. And it was like, what was out there was people telling me to like, believe I was a beautiful goddess well, I spent 25 years thinking 300 times a day about how disgusting my body was like that was too big of an ask. And i actually felt worse because I was like, well, I can't even do this. Right. But then when I started playing around with neutral thoughts, those were thoughts like if my current thought is well, my stomach is disgusting, I'm not going to go straight to like, I'm a beautiful fertility goddess, but I can practice thinking thoughts like that's a human stomach or like many women have stomachs like this right? Like that is a neutral Mm. statement. That's clearly true. So your brain can't argue with it as much. And you get like a tiny bit of relief. Like often when I'm teaching my clients how to do this process, it's like, they want to go from feeling our feelings in our body. They want to go from feeling like horrible to feeling amazing. And I'm like, no, we're going for 10% less horrible.
0: Oh, I love that. 10% less
1: horrible. I love that. Yeah. And so like my stomach is disgusting that's a human stomach doesn't feel as amazing as it does when you eventually do believe like I'm beautiful and sexy, but it feels better than I'm disgusting. And it occupies your brain, right? It's like I usually use the metaphor of like your brain is like a German shepherd puppy. If you leave it alone in the house without instructions, it's going to destroy it. <laughs> that's such a good analogy. You have to give it something to do. So when you give it a neutral thought to practice then it has something else to do, rather than think it's default thought. And it feels a little bit better. And then eventually, once you practice enough, that becomes your default. And then you can go to the next steps. Like, that's a neutral statement. Or, like, one of my clients is working through some issues in dating because she'd been sexually assaulted in the past. And so I was actually just coaching her this morning. She's been working on some neutral thoughts. Like, she cannot yet believe that she's safe to go on dates. But she can believe the statement, there are men in the world who never sexually assault Mm -hmm. (laughs)
0: anyone."
1: Like, it's a neutral statement. She can start there. So those are kind of examples. I just think of them as like statements that are often they're not about you at all. So it like depersonalizes it, which helps. And they're sort of unassailably true, or at least just you can believe them. And they feel a little bit better than what you've been thinking.
0: Mm, That's so good. So it's actually, that's a really good way to build self-confidence in someone to take the next little step.
1: Yeah. And then you learn that you can do it. It's like when you try to believe something you don't believe, my theory is you don't get any emotional payoff. So you don't really teach Mm -hmm. your brain that it's worth doing. So, like, I do think some people affirmations must work for them, but they must be the kind of people who, for whatever reason, are able to just repeat something that gives them no payoff 3,000 times until it finally clicks or something. I was not like that. Like,
0: Yeah, I don't think they ever work. I think what actually happens, Cora, it's my opinion, is that they actually say them and then they actually do what you just described. They actually realize it's not working. And they try so many different things and they try a million different books and eventually everything is just not working. So they have to get down to basics and make the choice to get in the dirt and find out what's going on in my head. And that's a lot of hard work. You know, it's something that, you know, if we're being in the game of I practiced clinically for 25 years and now I write books and teach on the mind-brain connection, do clinical trials and things. And having been in this field for so long now, it's one of the most difficult things. And you, dis- I'm pretty certain you discovered this too, is to try and help people make the decision to do the work of working with your mind. It's just hard doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be feeling, you know, it's not going to feel all wonderful and great for a long time. It gets worse before it gets better, but eventually it does improve. Eventually when you give people mind management, it does change. So it's, it's really good what you're doing.
1: Totally. Yeah. You have to be willing to, I think that's the other thing I like about the neutral thoughts is like, even just getting a little 10% less suffering, I think, gives you like that little bit of like, oh, okay, like that's a little better, (laughs) just like a little relief, so that you get a reward, basically, and your brain is like, oh, okay, this is worth doing. But yeah, definitely, of course, gets worse, especially I think when people have been numbing out and repressing their emotions for a long time. And they've been ignoring them, the part where you have to go through where you have to actually feel them is not that pleasant.
0: Exactly. But that little 10% thing is is something practical to hang on to. It's something logical. It's something solid. So it's a great little confidence booster. I love that. And then you just keep building from there. It's so good. A cornerstone of your work is helping women retrain their brains so that they can, I and mean, maybe on this, this topic, so let's just go a little deeper. So a cornerstone of your work is helping women retrain their brains so that they can always feel great naked or love every picture of themselves or accept their big nose or small boobs. I'm just quoting you exactly the way they are. How do you do that?
1: Yeah. So I think that's like a lot of that ladder work that we just talked about The new, mm-hmm. But I think what's super cool also, right, is your brain is like a, it's like artificial intelligence. Like if you teach it a new tool, it'll eventually start to just use it on its own. So often people will do a whole bunch of like a what I call thought ladder, which is we've got that, you know, the current thought on the bottom and then the first neutral thought. And they'll like do a bunch of rungs with brainstormed thoughts they want to work up to. But the first one or two they have to do on purpose and repeat and practice a lot. And then like sometimes their brain's just like, oh, okay, we can jump to the top now. You're teaching your brain the skill of believing something new on purpose. And I think after a while, now not on everything, like life is still human life. <laughs> sometimes. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm feel bad or not be able to coach yourself or whatever else. But the part where like your brain finally kind of starts to coach itself, by which I mean, like, you have this experience where all of a sudden, like, you're not even trying to change your thought on purpose, and your brain just offers you a more helpful thought, like it came up with it itself. (laughs) is so fun, right? And like, that's the part where you get to like, Oh, this is really working. Like, my brain is now doing some of this. And now I find like when I really, of course I still have negative emotion, but especially when it's about something where it's like silly and I'm just sulking, you know, when I try to sulk now, my brain is like, I mean, you could sulk, but here's a much more helpful thought. I'm Like, come on. Like,
0: yeah, you've changed yourself. You've increased your self-regulation. I mean, I love what you're saying and you actually are explaining, you're actually saying a lot of very, very solid scientific stuff. Like, Like for example, that you've actually distinguished between the mind and the brain without even realizing it, but you've used brilliant examples and you've shown how your mind trains your brain. And that's exactly, I've spent 30 years researching memory stuff. How does that, what you, the process that you've just described, that does, it takes cycles. You've actually got to consciously and deliberately practice the bottom of your ladder. And then eventually when you practice enough, you actually change the protein structures in the brain, but your mind's doing that change. It's not your brain doing, your brain's responding. And then eventually you put that in your non-conscious mind. And that's when, as you said, when it pops up, oh, I could be sulky, but there's a better way. So you've given energy and built a very strong thought with your mind in your brain, and that pops up. I mean, that's what you're teaching people to do. It's fantastic.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this is like the great gift of human consciousness, right? And people have been, I mean, humans have been thinking about this for thousands of years since meditation. Like, how wild is it that exactly. you can watch your own mind,
0: right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And control it and change it, which is fantastic. Thank
1: goodness, right. Otherwise we'd really be in trouble.
0: <laughs> exactly. Okay. So you talked about and everything's so linked. So it's and there's so many great concepts, but you spoke a little bit about imposter syndrome and you referenced it. Let's just talk a little bit more about that. Specifically, how have you seen people overcome imposter syndrome? Maybe if you can give some tips and guidelines.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think imposter syndrome is, well, first of all, I think women are just taught to have imposter syndrome about anything.
0: That's interesting. I like that. So you think women are taught to have it. Okay. That's great. Yeah.
1: I'm not saying that, you know, no men have it, obviously, but I just think women, we grow up in a culture where you just look at like even the news coverage, right? Like women are constantly questioned. Their authority is questioned more than men. Their like, like ability. I mean, if you look at the political, like right now in the political coverage in the, in the US, we have men and women running for president. And if you like look at the different kinds of coverage or figures, like women are constantly their credentials and authority are questioned more than men. There's so much more focus on like their appearance and their likability, right? There's just we're taught at an early age, I think that women shouldn't be as in charge or don't deserve to earn as much money or aren't as smart or too emotional like all of those kind of stereotypes. In fact, I was just at this, I was just like one of a million examples, but I was just at this like workshop the last two days about publishing and writing a book. And somebody told a story, it was like a panel about, you know, doing speaking. And somebody told a story about how a friend who always charged whatever it was for a speech, $20,000. And then she was at a, a big, a huge conference where the other three or four keynote speakers were all men and her speech killed it. And after the event, one of the organizers took her aside and was like, listen, like I wouldn't normally do this but I just really want you to know like your speech was the best and you asked for half of what all those men asked for and like you need to raise your prices like that wow. thing happens mm. all the time right we we know that men negotiate for raises more than women do we know that men ask for promotions more than women do women are taught like do really well and, and somebody will reward you with what you deserve
0: I'm nodding my head to everything that you're saying and I'm the doctor in the family my husband and I'll go somewhere and we, I do all these conferences everywhere. And people will come up to my husband and say, hi, Dr. Leaf. You know, just the immediate assumption. Yeah. So I've, I've experienced this firsthand myself being a woman in science and whatever. Out there, and I'm sure you have the same thing, a woman in, in your field as well.
1: One of my colleagues just went to buy an apartment and she was the only one who looked at it. And like she was the one talking to the real estate agent, you know, the whole thing. She was the one signing it for it. It was an expensive apartment. She's paying in cash. And the broker was like giving her some advice and she was like, oh, "Okay, thanks." And he
0: was like, "I'm just trying to save your husband some money." And she was oh like,
1: "Oh my gosh, I-, I made the money, dude!" You know? What?
0: Yeah, exactly. Like- That's when you just want to squash them. Yeah, exactly. If you love listening to my podcasts and want to take your mental health healing journey to the next level, then I want to invite you to my 2020 Mental Health Solution Summit, December 3rd through 5th in Dallas, Texas. The core focus of this conference is to give you simple, practical, applicable, scalable and scientific solutions to help you take back control of your mental health and to help others and to make impactful changes in your community. You will learn how to manage the day-to-day stressors of life as well as those acute stressors that blindside us. Our goal is to address your most pressing mental health concerns, help you find answers and equip you with the knowledge and the resources that you need to make the change from living a life of barely surviving to one where you are thriving. There will be sessions on addiction recovery, sex and mental health, how to help your child become stress resilient and manage anxiety, how to detox your brain, nutrition tips to boost mental and physical health, and so much more early bird tickets are on sale now so hurry and get yours today before prices increase on march 31st we also have limited vip tickets that include special private q a sessions with me and meet and greets with myself and there are discounts available for groups for more information and to register today visit drleafconference.com the link will also be in the show notes
1: I think, you know, if you, imposter syndrome is like the collection of thought patterns of like, I'm not, and it's so fascinating, right? Because it's like one of the common themes to it, which I used to have too, is this feeling that we're going to be like found out as a fraud.
0: Mm, that's the definition. That's a great definition.
1: Imposter it's syndrome. So hilarious, right. Cause it's like, how are you? Did you lie about your credentials? <laughs> like, did you not go to that school? Did you not have that job before this one? <laughs> like, but we have that thought, right? So, well, with imposter syndrome, I mean, you can always use these tools of neutral thoughts for anything. I think one of the things I coach about with imposter syndrome is like, what does it really mean to say you're being a fraud? Like, if you haven't lied about who you are, what does that mean? Can you possibly be fraudulently yourself?
0: Mm, That's so good.
1: Like, it doesn't even make any sense once you break it down. But then I still think, you know, one of my big premises is like, that's a great soundbite and it's a big insight. But then you still have to do the daily work of like every time your brain says, oh, I shouldn't ask for that raise or I shouldn't mention this in the Mm -hmm. meeting or I should defer to my male colleague, even though I know that his math is wrong. You know, like you have to put yourself on each of those. But I think like most women know that they've been socialized to think a certain way. They might not say it exactly like that. Right. But they're like aware of those patterns. But the awareness is half the battle. We need to be aware of that. But then we also just have to do the kind of, you know, it's like the grind, the daily grind of working on changing those thoughts one by one.
0: It's almost like, as you said in the beginning, it's deprogramming the patriarchy out of, out of woman. So how do you do that? Cause that's very related to the imposter syndrome.
1: It's literally like you have to download what your thoughts are and then work on changing them.
0: Oh, I love that. Download your thoughts and work on changing them.
1: I mean, the good news is like it's overwhelming in the beginning because you think, oh, my God, I have two million thoughts. Like, how am I ever going to change all these? But when you start to notice patterns pretty quickly and, you know, it always comes down to like the same. I think everybody's got like four, <laughs> four favorite thoughts that just wear a lot of different outfits. You know, it's like I'm not smart enough. I am not. I mean, also probably there's only 10 overall and we all pick four of them. <laughs> it's like I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. People don't like me. I'm not lovable. We like whatever those beliefs are. And I really like, I'm pretty concrete and pragmatic the way I coach. It's like, okay, that's your thought. Now, what's your first ladder thought? What are we going to work on thinking instead? And then we're going to work our way up. I don't know any other way to do it. I do think once you have done this a lot, now at this point, having spent years practicing this skill most days of my life, now sometimes when I have an insight, it can switch automatically because it's just like I've built that habit.
0: You've trained yourself, yeah. You've built it into your non-conscious mind, which is like the most powerful part of you, but it took a lot of work. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's like being, once you're an accomplished cellist, maybe you can pick up a new piece of music very quickly, right? But it's like you have to do all that practicing to get there.
0: Exactly. So would you say that if, when you're talking about practicing to get there, would you say that the self-critical talk, the social conditioning, the patriarchy, program patriarchy is keeping so many incredible women from taking action? to get the things they really want.
1: A hundred percent, right? I think that women are conditioned to like be terrified of failure and to be terrified of like anybody seeing them fail. And again, not just women, but a lot of humans have that problem. But I do think women get a special flavor of it all. So yeah, I think all of those thoughts, I mean, most of us, I think women also in particular are encouraged to grow up with a more fixed mindset, you know, in the Carol Dweck, like fixed versus growth mindset for your listeners who don't know what that means. A fixed mindset being essentially like you think your skills and talents are innate, can't change, right? And you're usually encouraged, like I was encouraged growing up to kind of only do things I'm already naturally good at, and to never like try to do things I was bad at. And to think that that's just how it was, like, I'm naturally good at these things, I'm naturally bad at these things, failing is terrible. And then a growth mindset, you're much more encouraged, or you maybe naturally, I don't know, I assume a lot of socialization goes into it, To think of, you know, failing, it just shows that there's a challenge to think of skills and abilities as things you can learn or improve or hone over time or practice. So it's like that, I think women are really conditioned to be kind of like, this is how you are, like you're already not good enough and that's that, or like only do things that you're already amazing at. And then switching from that mindset to like, it's okay to fail, it's okay to screw up, like that's a necessary part of doing something. I think that's a lot of it. Like there are people probably who will argue like men are biologically predisposed to be more risky. But I think a lot of it is the socialization and what we say when, you know, like I don't have the presidential elections on my brain, but it's like, there are all these men running for president who have lost plenty of elections, you know, and then there's. Women running for president have never lost an election.
0: Exactly. It's a good way of looking at it. I totally agree with you. I know Carol Dweck and I have done very similar work in terms of, and I want to just reinforce what you've just said for the listeners. And my listeners are very aware of what I teach. And one of the things you just said now is going to ring true, so true with them. And that's that you keep, you're as intelligent as you want to be. That first and foremost, you are you. And then after that, well, you happen to express your you through your maleness and your femaleness. But this whole thing that, you know, it's social—totally the social conditioning of men are this and women are that. Yes, we are different, but it's—it's we it's every, every single human is different. And yes, there are certain obviously male, female sort of trends, but the the uniqueness of the human person, first and foremost, you, and then the fact that you can keep growing and changing is much more hopeful than just being told, "Oh, well, that's what men are, that's what you are." And I think also in the religious environment, it's a huge issue because we've we've been—I mean, I've sat in conversations that I've actually walked out of where I've had people saying to me, because I mean, my husband kind of plays the backseat role where he runs the business side of things and the logistics. I'm in the front talking and books and authoring and whatever. And I've had, we've had people say to us, so who's the head of the house? And I've said, well, what even that doesn't, that's not even a concept in our mind. I mean, it's like we are together running this business and running life and four kids. And the woman in that conversation and the other men in that conversation were horrified that I didn't submit to the man and that kind of stuff. And my husband backed me up and we had this little argument, um, not my husband, i put with these people, very polite argument, but we basically, and that's happened not once, but often. And to try and get that message through in the multiple environments that you've just said of helping people to recognize that you can grow, it's so important for women to realize that, that you're not limited.
1: Yeah, totally. And that there's so much, I mean, so much of it is socialization, right? The study showing like you prime women to think about how they're women and they do worse at math because we've told women that women are bad at math.
0: Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the truth is that they just do math differently and it's not like it's better or worse. It's different. And if you love math, whether you're male or female, you're going to be great. You know, I was listening to one of your podcasts this morning and it really caught my attention because it's something I teach a lot on and that's for um, forgiveness. You said some amazing things. I'm going to prompt you. I know you know all of this, but I'm just going to prompt you, memory about the things that grab my attention. I'd love for us just to explore this a little bit because it's such a huge thing. And you say that forgiveness is a series of thoughts and you feel because they, they've caused your feelings. You know, you've got the story about the past and you've got to remember that it's the story of your past and you give people steps. And I, I want you to explain it. You have a great way of explaining it. But what really grabbed me was you are suffering now because of your current thought about it. But imagine that, you know, imagine who you are as though the past didn't even exist. I just love that. It's a fantastic approach. So dive in and teach us about forgiveness.
1: Okay. Yeah. I I mean, one of my favorite coaching tools is imagine you woke up with amnesia. (laughs) I love it. It's brilliant. (laughs) Because we just are in the habit of thinking all these things because we've always thought them, right? We have all these stories. Like if you woke up and you didn't know who anybody was or what all your stories were about them, like who would you be? So I think the premise i mean one thing i'll say before i talk about forgiveness specifically just because i think it'll be useful to your listeners is i think one of the biggest blocks we have in trying to do you know whether you call it thought work or coach yourself or using therapy tools whatever it is is when we talk about something in this really abstract way that we don't really know what it means or how to do it so like when mm. we say like how do i forgive it's like nobody knows the answer to that because i just think it's too abstract and i find it's like a good way of mystifying the process to yourself when you make it very concrete like how do I change the thoughts I have about this thing that happened? Now, all of a sudden, we have like something to work with.
0: Mm, That's so good. That's brilliant.
1: Now we can actually look at it. And there's a million things like that. This is just the one we're talking about. But it's like any time we're kind of trying to describe a concept, we don't know how to do a concept. When we just think, okay, whatever concept I'm talking about is just a set of thoughts I have. Now we can like get into it. So, I mean, the premise with forgiveness is that What it means to forgive someone is just that it means to change the thoughts you are thinking now about whatever it is that they did in the past.
0: Say that again. It's very, very good.
1: Yeah. It's changing the thoughts you have now about whatever it is they did in the past, right? Like the past is as over, I would say the past is as over as ancient Rome. What happened yesterday is equally changeable as what happened to Julius Caesar. We don't ever think about changing what happened to Julius Caesar. (laughs) Such a good analogy. We think about changing what happened yesterday all the time. I don't think our brains really, it's kind of fascinating, right? Because in physics, like time is sort of an illusion. And our brains are like, they're like physicists. They're like, time doesn't exist. If I think about yesterday a lot, that will change it. Like our brains, I think, aren't good about that intuitively. They don't understand it.
0: Our brains just do what we tell them to do. This is the beautiful thing. So it's us telling our brain to get all confused. our brain just is doing what we tell it to do. So yeah.
1: And the only reason, and like the thing we have to realize is the only reason we think we need to change the past is that we think it's causing us pain now. But since the past doesn't exist, all that exists right now are the thoughts you have in your mind about it.
0: That's Mm. all you
1: have to change. And I think the thing that people get tripped up on with forgiveness is they think that not forgiving or holding a grudge or whatever it is, they think either they're powerless to change it, or once you show them that they could change it. They're resistant to changing it because they think somehow that morally validates what happened or lets the person off the hook. It's like we're making our own thoughts either have some moral significance that is signaled to the world, which
0: mm. it isn't,
1: or we think it's like punishing the other person somehow, which it also isn't right. It's mm. only causing you pain and suffering.
0: That's key there. It's only causing you pain and suffering.
1: Like, I'm not saying forgive everyone because then you get on the fast track to heaven. <laughs> like, I don't. Yeah, exactly. It's not like you get a gold star. I don't care personally if you forgive someone or not. I don't think it makes you a better person. It's for you. It's just so painful to spend, like, if you just think you've limited mental energy in your life, like, if you have like 10,000 watts of energy, brain energy, in your whole life to do everything you want to do, and you're spending 300 of them thinking constantly about something that's over that you can't change and like causing yourself your own suffering now, it's only a gift to you to stop doing that. It does it
0: Exactly. Do You're draining yourself of very necessary energy that you need to be able to move forward in your day.
1: Yeah. And it's not teaching them a lesson. <laughs> it's like we think that, well, it's like punching yourself in the face and being like, that'll show them. They don't care. I mean, they might care, but they don't feel your feelings, right? Whether
0: they Exactly. Can, ah
1: and we'll do this with people who are dead or that we've never spoken to again you know like where for sure has zero impact on them
0: well from a physics point of view that's exactly what's happening because you mentioned like physics and you know, if you're talking you can always link the psychology with the physics mind brain all the time and that's exactly what happens if you that thought is real It's a real thing and it's connected to the source. And as long as it's connected to the source, like plugging in your cell phone, it's always got energy. So when you do what you've said, when you take those steps and you actually say, well, what are you actually, what's the story that you are imagining or what do you want to be? You're kind of disconnecting, you're pulling
1: out the plug. Yeah. You keep feeding that and it gets bigger and bigger and then it just becomes this whole part of your identity that is, it's totally optional.
0: This episode is sponsored by NED, one of my favorite CBD companies. NED's full-spectrum hemp oil products contain CBD extracted from the finest organic hemp plants. NED offers many different products, including a collection for balancing hormones, and helping ease period pains. I personally have found their products to be a great addition to my mental self-care routine. Their full-spectrum hemp oils help me sleep better, fall asleep fast, and just feel overall much calmer. Ned products are non-GMO, a great source of antioxidants, can help reduce inflammation and pain, and will not get you high. Thank you, Ned, for supporting the show. You can get 15% off today with free shipping by going to www.helloned.com forward slash drleaf and use the code drleaf d-r-l-e-a-f the link will also be in the show notes you give some actual steps for forgiveness can you walk my listeners
1: through the steps I think so. It's like a pop quiz on my own work.
0: Oh, there you go. Pop quiz of your own work. Well, listen, it impressed me so much. I wanted to ask you the questions.
1: <laughs> also, definitely people can go, if I get this wrong, just go listen to the episode.
0: Exactly. I strongly recommend that you listen to the podcast. We're going to put that into the show notes. Everyone, this is a fantastic source of knowledge that Cara provides. So we'll put your podcast in the show
1: notes. So first of all, you have to figure out what is your story about the past? What happened? And one of the things that I work a lot with on people, and you can do it in the context of this forgiveness story, is like, what's the actual circumstance or actions that happened? And then what's your story about it? Right? And one of the ways to sort of figure that out, I think this is maybe what, you're, what you were thinking of, is to use a question like, so what? So let's say your story is like, my mother... My mother listens to these things sometimes. She's like, are you talking about me? Oh, shame. (laughs) I'm always like, only if you did the thing. If it sounds like you that I'm talking about you. No, theoretically. Like, let's say you're like, I can't forgive my mother because she yelled at me if I didn't get good grades and she wouldn't let me have friends. Okay, let's just say that's your story. That's already kind of your thoughts, but let's just say that's truly what happened you can find out why that's a problem. Like, what are you making that mean now? What's your thought about it now? And so maybe your thought about it now is, and that's why, you know, now I I had a terrible childhood and now I don't know how to make friends with people. So it's just like by asking yourself kind of what happened, why was it a problem? So what did that happen? You can get access to all of the meaning that you're creating from that and why it's so painful for you right now right? It's painful for you now Mm -hmm. because you keep thinking, I had this terrible childhood. I'm making that real, like your brain, right? is just constantly basically hallucinating. It doesn't know the difference when you're thinking that you're basically re-experiencing it as an Mm -hmm. adult right now. And then you're also giving it all this power over you and over your current life and like who you can be now. So you have to figure out exactly what you're thinking about the past and what you're making it mean, why any of it's a problem and then you have to look at how you might be able to shift those thoughts, right? And that's going mm. to go back to like neutral thoughts. Or a lot of thoughts like bit by bit, what other story can you tell? And one of the things, I can't actually remember if this is in the podcast, but one of the things I teach is to do to rewrite your, your past. So you write the story the way you always tell it, which is like all your negative thoughts, basically, right? About what happened and why it was a problem and why it screwed you up and whatever it is. And then you write it with just neutral facts, which usually takes you a few tries. Usually you put a bunch of thoughts in there. And sometimes it's wild. Like sometimes the story goes from 10 pages to like one sentence, right? It's like the sentence is like, Bob slept with my wife and they ran off to Cancun. <laughs> like that's the one sentence yeah. that yeah. happened. That's the neutral set. Like Bob slept with your wife and they got on a plane and went to Cancun. Like that's it. Those are the neutral facts. Yeah. And like, sometimes you need to stay there for a while and just like really look at that difference and practice thinking just the neutral thought version. And then eventually sometimes you can go to a more positive version where it's not about like just positive whitewashing everything. You don't have to be glad something happened. Like you always get to choose (laughs) what to think. But can you look for some more positive or productive meaning to make out of that or a different way you want to tell the story? Because I think often what we get stuck in a lot is, We want to blame other people and be angry at them because we think if we don't blame them, we have to blame ourselves. We think something went wrong, someone has to be to blame. And when you do a more positive version of the story, part of that is usually looking for ways to see like how you were resilient, or you showed up a certain way, or you did the best you could, and other people did too. And like it just takes you out of that something went wrong, someone has to be to blame. It's either got to be me or them. I either have to hate myself or I have to hate them. That's this like track we get stuck in, and I. I think when you do this mental work on forgiveness, it's like you can open a, you know, it's like open a trap door from the trap. Like, no, we can just go out through the top. Like, Mm.
0: no need to be to blame. Fantastic. That's so well brilliantly explained. Thank you. That's going to be very helpful for so many people. A lot of you have asked me where I get my clothes from. Well, do you want to know my secret to staying stylish without spending a lot? Mod cloth. ModCloth designs vintage-inspired pieces made relevant for the right now. Crafted by a team of in-house designers, signature styles include hand-drawn prints, unexpected silhouettes, and an inclusive size range that celebrates all women. ModCloth never goes out of style. I love each and every piece I get from ModCloth. They fit great, and they make me feel beautiful and confident when I speak on stage. To get 15% of your purchase of $100 or more, including sale items, go to modcloth.com th.com and enter the code Leaf at checkout. Promo code cannot be combined with other offers. Again, that's modclass.com and enter the code Leaf for 15% of your order of $100 or more. The link and offer details will also be in the show notes. time for one more question you also recently did a podcast on result entitlement that I loved could you talk about this concept result entitlement and how it's dangerous and what we should do and think instead (laughs) I'm throwing all these big ones your way (laughs)
1: yeah yeah no this one's what this one I just did last week I still remember this podcast
0: oh good you did very well by the way you actually literally re-spoke your whole podcast so your memory is very good (laughs)
1: I always find like when I used to lose a brief or a paper or something, you know, like when computers would eat it back in the early days, I was always, yeah. it's just going to come out the same. It'll be fine. It'll be exactly. Cool exactly. So, results entitlement, and it's so interesting. Somebody was mad on social media and they were like, well, I think entitlement is a judgmental word. And I was like, I use that word on purpose, <laughs> right? Because yeah. we don't think that we're entitled and we think it means something bad about us. But really, results entitlement is just our unconscious belief that. We are entitled to things being a certain way or having certain things we want or things being a certain amount of easier, you know, we just arbitrarily decide that. So we'll just like, let me put it this way. I'm sure all of your listeners and myself and probably you have found ourselves having the thought like, oh, this shouldn't be this hard. Your parenting, your relationship, your job, or, you know, writing a book, running a mile, like whatever it is, it's like, this shouldn't be so hard.
0: Like that's
1: results entitlement, like who says it shouldn't be so hard, right? You just arbitrarily decided how hard something should be, and then you feel like a victim when it has to be harder than that. So it's like if you wanna I use business examples a lot because i I don't know because I have a business and I see this a lot there, but it's like if you do x amount of effort, like whatever you try to make this amount, you try to make twenty sales and you get two results entitlement is then feeling like ashamed and self-critical and also victim-y that you should have gotten more or it shouldn't be so hard or it's not working or anything else that sort of distracts you from the basic math of if you need to do 20 to get two then you need to do 40 to get four that's just the math Mm. now maybe you can get better at that skill But what happens is we think like, oh, something's gone wrong. I'm bad or they're bad, right? It's kind of the same thing in a way. It's like the shame or the blame. Mm. The world's unfair or I suck. Like those are the only two options. As opposed to like, it's just math. You have to do this much work to get this thing. Now, sometimes I think it happens because we don't really want the thing. Like we've been told we should want it or whatever. And so we don't really want to work hard enough to get it. In which case the work is to just allow yourself to not work on it. Like you don't really care. You don't really want it. Right. Like I see that in dating sometimes where I feel like people get very, have a lot of entitlement about how long it should take to find a partner, how many dates they should have to go on, all of that. Mm-hmm. And it's like some people actually just don't, especially women, I think don't actually really want to be in a romantic relationship, but there's just all the social pressure. Like you have to decide if you don't want it, then just stop wasting any energy on it.
0: Exactly. And mm-hmm. do that
1: work. But if you do want it, then you just, got to commit to doing whatever it takes rather than randomly having decided that you should only have to make 10 calls to get two clients, or you should only have to go on five first dates to get a boyfriend. Like we make all of these markers in our head and then we're like mad when reality doesn't match them.
0: So you actually saying that you need to look at this entitlement and say, what do you actually reconceptualize it, you know, see it from a different perspective in terms of why am I saying that? Why am I thinking it's too much work, or why am I saying it's so hard, and then actually deciding if this is what you really want? And that's maybe why. Am I hearing you correctly? Am I? Yeah.
1: And if you do want it, then it just takes whatever it takes.
0: So if if you don't want it, don't do it. If you do want it, do whatever it takes.
1: Yeah. Stop complaining.
0: <laughs> stop complaining and just do it. Yeah. That's very good. That's that's the tip. That's the tip, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I mean, the example I give in the podcast is like. Like if a store is two miles away, none of us would walk one mile and then throw a fit that we weren't there yet, right? <laughs> we, just, we just know that it's two miles away. So you can throw yourself on the ground and scream and cry at one mile, but the store is not coming any closer. So either do you want to go to the store or not? If you don't want to go, that's fine. Don't go. Then don't set out at all or just go home. But if you do want to go, you're just going to have to walk that next mile and you waste so much energy having a tantrum about it.
0: Oh, That's very good. That's really good. That's why I like that podcast. You see, it's such good information. You have a very nice practical way of sorting it out, of of bringing these these concepts that can get us so stuck into a very practical, usable format.
1: Yeah. Anytime you're thinking it's not working or it shouldn't be this hard, you're in results entitlement.
0: Mm, Anytime you think it's not working or it shouldn't be this hard, you've actually entered into results entitlement and then you may need to make some serious decisions about, do I want to do this? If so, stop complaining and just do what it takes. Or If I don't stop doing it.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Simple. Any last pieces of advice, wisdom, tips that you think every woman or man listening right now needs to hear?
1: You know, my answer to this, I, which I know I've given before, but I really think it's true is like, you have to think about and I'm sure, you know, the technical name for this bias, but like humans overestimate how much they can get done in like a day or a week, and they underestimate how much they can get done in a year. And I think the same is true for our own internal processes and change. We overestimate, right? We all want that like instant transformation mm-hmm. and we have one insight and then it doesn't magically change everything. And then we totally get into results entitlement about it. And we're like, is well, that insight? Why hasn't everything changed? We sort of overestimate in our fantasy about how change works, but we so dramatically underestimate how radically you can change your life with consistent effort, little, small, consistent effort over time. I really think like that is the secret to everything I've changed in my life. And I have like women in their 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s saying, well, it's too late to change this or like I've already made these decisions. And I feel like I've radically changed my life in the last five years internally and externally from and not doing it perfectly every day, just like most of the time, doing some thought work, <laughs> like that's it.
0: Exactly. I love that, and I want you to say it again because I totally agree with you. Because I feel like myself, I'm always changing; it's never the same, and it's just great. It's just, oh, well, this doesn't work. You must try something else. So, just say that again. That's just summarize that. It's such a good statement.
1: One of the hallmarks of like perfectionist thinking, I think, is we think like everything's all or nothing, and we want to be like immediately transformed, but then we. Don't appreciate how much little bits of consistent effort will add up. So, I have not done thought work every day since I discovered it. <laughs> like, my practice is not perfect, right? But most of my change has not been like radical insight that changes everything. It's been little by little doing some work on my mind, most not all days has radically transformed my life internally and externally. So, I just think like, I mean, it's just crazy. We get to like 35 and people are like, well, that's it. Too late to change.
0: Oh, gosh. Yeah. So this <laughs> so in these days, I've just done some clinical trials and I'm telling you my 24 year olds in my clinical trials, because I did this whole non-pharmacological intervention for anxiety and depression, which is the world I work in. So non-drugs, getting people to manage their mind. And I'm seeing that there's more of that thinking in the younger generation, which is so sad than there is in, it's everywhere. But that kind of thinking, so we've got to change that across the board. So, yeah. Yeah,
1: it's so interesting. I wonder if that's because older people have experience changing things, you know? So they're like, I know not who I was when I was 40, so this is possible.
0: It is possible. There's the wisdom that comes with age, but there's also a lot of other factors, I think, like the social environment we're in. And the and just the whole, I think the biggest part of that study that I, and just related to what we're saying, is the happiness industry, the external fix, the take a drug if you're unhappy, take another self-help book if you're unhappy. Take us something extrinsic versus the intrinsic work. We've got to do that intrinsic work. Otherwise, you've got this constant anxiety about life. So I love how you say that we underestimate the one and we overestimate the other, which is is fantastic. Well, this is wonderful. And I know there's so much more that you've got to share. So I would love to invite you back on the podcast at some point and get you to share more of your incredible wise, down-to-earth wisdom. And it's been such fun talking to you. Thank you so much. How can people find out more about you, your podcast and your work?
1: Yeah, my podcast is called Unfuck Your Brain, with a little asterisk, and you can find it anywhere you find your podcast. And that's really the best place to find me. It's been such a pleasure. I'd be happy to come on anytime. Wonderful. Thank you so much. It's been such fun.
0: I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful.